I made a call to the local food bank and, and, and asked for help. And that was the start of my journey with Coventry Food Bank. Welcome to Louise's Health Kick podcast with Louise Mercier. Louise is a nutritional therapist, award-winning author of How Food Shapes Your Child, and a presenter on Early Years TV Food Channel. As well as all this, Louise is the force behind the Health Kick, promoting a healthy lifestyle without the contradictory and often misplaced advice in the world of nutrition. Hello and welcome to Louise's podcast and a happy new year to everybody. Um, I'm delighted to be joined by Hugh from Coventry Food Bank this morning and my new theme and the new podcast series is all about the health and wealth divide and the growing issue of food poverty. And this is something really close to my heart as a nutritional therapist because I'm all about proactive support for health and nutrition and a lot of the issues that we are seeing with health is because of poor nutrition and that is exacerbated with food poverty. So I wanted to bring Hugh in and, and have a chat with Hugh about what we can do to help, but also sort of the scale of the issue and how this has really increased with the pandemic. So welcome and good morning to Hugh. Uh, good morning, Louise. Thank you for having me this morning. It's great to be here. So Hugh, could you tell us a little bit about what you do and how long you've been involved, but how things are changing in, in recent years as well? Yeah. So obviously, um, I came to Food Bank myself as a user back in 2014. Um, myself and my wife had a, a business in Warwick that failed in the most spectacular style and, and basically left us homeless, uh, took everything that we had. And I found myself in a situation in, in early 2014 of thinking, um, how am I going to feed my family at the time? Um, at the time, we had our, our, our granddaughter who was living with us. She was just four. So I was, I was really concerned about putting food on the table. And so I, I made a call to the local food bank and, and, and asked for help. And that was the start of my journey with Coventry Food Bank. Um, I began as a volunteer and then through that process, um, a couple of months, you know, eight 10 months later, I became the project manager in late 2014. And uh, it's a job I've done ever since. So um, I'm very proud of um, uh, what Coventry Food Bank does. I know the difference that it makes because it's made such a big difference to my life. So Hugh, there's definitely a personal backstory there for you and a real empathy with with the users that, that you can associate with. But I think sometimes when we see the numbers, and we'll touch on the numbers, and they are frighteningly, you know, huge numbers of people in food poverty, but we can sometimes forget the, the personal stories that lead people there. And we may get political and think there's many reasons that why people shouldn't end up there, and there should be more done to in terms of interventions. But when you see people individually on a, on a, a basis, as you do, you can see the real impact that it makes. So how many stories are like yours, which have a real success to them and I don't mean numbers but in terms of that you can you can link with in terms of you know you know that this makes a real difference and it's not just something that we put something in the box at the end of our shop and and that's that but it really does make a difference well we have numerous stories of people that we supported over the years Coventry Food Bank is going to be 11 years old in um Jan on January 21st of this year um so over the, the last 11 years we, we've we've helped numerous people um, a number of the staff team here have had personal experience of food poverty and, and needing support and, and through volunteering, finding jobs and, and going on here with us at, at, at the food bank. But 
we, we, we regularly get letters or emails or telephone calls from people to say, you know, you made such a difference to me when I needed it. You were there. And, and that's really, really wonderful. And it's heartwarming. Um, as a food bank, we are one of our priorities for this year is, is um, how can we help more people? That's our, our, our focus or will be one of our focuses for this year. Um, what practical things can we put in place to support people in, in a better way? And um, just to move people out of crisis into stability. And that's one of the focuses that we, I'm personally going to be looking at over the, the course of the next 12 months. And what are the practical steps for people who donate food, for example? So that the average person who thinks, oh, I could do something to help. What are the practical steps that they could do to help you with, with that agenda? Well, uh, we've just come through Christmas, which is obviously our busiest time of the year. And our, our warehouse, we've got a 19,000 square foot warehouse. So we've got one of the largest warehouses in food bank warehouses in the UK. We're, we're actually full of food at the moment. So the, the, issue, the issue for us is that, of course, as we get into winter, um, you know, January and February in particular, uh, donations do drop off because people are faced with, you know, Christmas has been, it's been an expensive time. We've got to pay the bills. And, and as a consequence, people tend to forget that actually there are others out there that still need that constant support and constant help. So what we try and do is ask people to uh, either donate food to us at one of our collection points in the local supermarkets or drop it into us. Or if they wanted to make a financial donation, then they can make a regular financial donation, which then helps us purchase the food that we actually need. And that's one of the big things for Food Bank is... Um, you know, we have huge supplies of pasta and and rice and beans, and we have very little in the way of UHT milk and 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 other items. So it's about getting that balance right. So um, when we when we ask people to support us, we we have a, on our website we have a, a list of the items that we actually need, so that they can actually buy those for us. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the things that I've been trying to do with my my theme of the moment of food poverty is look at how we can donate specific foods that are nutritionally balanced for a family. Um, so for example, things like tinned fish to make sure that we're getting essential fatty acids in, um, to be wary of certain tinned meats because of the high salt content and the additives may not be suitable for people with high blood pressure or for very young children when, when, we're, when we're feeding families. And I've been putting together some sort of recipe cards for under three and five pounds to feed a family of four. So how you can create a meal from um, the food that you donate. Um, but one thing I wanted to touch on as well in terms of the nutritional impact of food donations is the the sugar um, content. And sometimes I think people have this notion of, oh, I'll be nice and, and put some biscuits in or I'll put, you know, some something, some sweets in um, and think that's, you know, a, a kind thing to do. But my concern as a, as a nutritional therapist, and one of the things that I do is, is really look at the nutritional value of food. <clears throat> so when we're looking at things like um, biscuits and sweets, particularly if we're feeding a family who, and not getting optimal nutrition because, you know, they're, they're for no fault of their own are needing to rely on the food that's given to them. So if they're given biscuits and sweets, it's a food that they will eat. Um, so one thing I'm trying to, to push the message in terms of donations is if we're going to donate something sweet, make it something like dried fruit or dark chocolate so that there's some nutritional benefit to it as well. Because 
we we do have a divide um, between health and wealth, and it is growing. Um, it's growing quite rapidly in the UK, um, and we know that nutrition is linked with better health outcomes, not just in the short term but in the long term as well. So when we have people who need to have these food parcels, we need to make sure that the food parcels are supporting their health at a time that they really need it because. Another thing we know is that stress is very damaging. And for situations like the situation you encountered from your personal experience, obviously incredibly stressful and emotionally draining. So we need to top up the nutritional support at the time of stress. And sugar, unfortunately, is quite damaging um, to stress in the immune system. So do you find in terms of donations that you have a lot of sugary foods donated? What we try to do is... um... We're very aware, of course, of the nutritional value and the Trussell Trust, as we're part of the Trussell Trust network of food banks, um, they, they've actually employed um, dietitians to look at the food and, like you say, try to make it as nutritionally balanced as possible. It's not always possible with the types of foods that we get. And the problem, of course, is the food that we're donated, um, we have no control over that. Um, so it, it makes it much, much more harder for us to 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 have a, a perfectly balanced a pack of food that we would give to people. So what we try to do is that we made a couple of decisions um, ourselves. One of ones is that we took sugar out of um, the, the pack completely. So previously, uh, we would get, yeah, so we, we've taken sugar out as one of the, uh, the things that we do. But the other thing that we, do, we have done and, and continue to do is that we are supplementing the basic package, package that we give with fresh fruit, veg, potatoes, anything that we can get our hands on really that is healthy and, and, and you know, it's good, nutritionally good, we, we're actually working to, to supplement that into the diet as well because we're very concerned. Food bank started and, and really is an emergency intervention and we're not a long-term solution to what's going on, but we're becoming a long-term solution and that's a concern for us because of obviously – the food that we give is meant to last a family three to five days and, you know, just to tide them over. But what we're seeing is more and more and more people are on extended trips to the food bank, longer times using the food banks rather than the intervention that we actually initially were set up to do. And do you think, I know that the pandemic has obviously had an impact, although I know that numbers were certainly rising before the pandemic, and there was a lot of media attention about the the children um, and the, the, the school meals issue with the lockdowns um, during the pandemic and lots of media attention with, with Marcus Rashford, etc. But how much of an impact has, has COVID had on, on numbers and, and frequency and people and longevity of, of users? Back in 2019, we, we, our, our feed rate was about 22, sorry, about 28,000 people um, a, a year, um, which for that year, which was the, the highest that we'd ever had. And then uh, during the pandemic, we, we topped over 34,500 people uh, fed with, with food in Coventry. Now, I just have to add on a little codicil. At the same time as we were doing Food Bank, we had a number of community uh, expressions um, developing their own pantry models and food relief, um, you know, uh, projects within the, the local community. So, so Coventry Food Bank now has thirteen food bank centres um, uh, spread across the city, but we also have a, a network of about twelve to fourteen 
um, grub hubs, uh, social supermarkets, you know, pantry models that have developed at the same time. So trying to get a, a true picture and a true reflection on the state of poverty in Coventry, and this applies obviously right across the country because what's happening here in Coventry is, is obviously happening right across the country. We are seeing that more and more people have fallen into that uh, situation where they need support and they need help, particularly around putting food on the table. And and that's a, a real concern for us. Um, this year, um, 2021, as we, you know, we, we look at the figures for 2021, we've seen a drop back from those highs of 34,500 back to down to a kind of like a pre-pandemic level, um, which, is, which is brilliant. Uh, and we're, we're really, really encouraged by that. Um, but we're still really worried about the current situation that people are finding themselves in now, uh, particularly with the, the, the price of food escalating. Uh, we're seeing that at the supermarkets. We're seeing that the, the amount of money that's available to people to spend uh, on, on food is, is diminishing. And, and also we've got the, the, the whole issue of, of the heating homes and the cost of fuel, which has actually skyrocketed over the, the last six months. Mm, the whole cost of living it looks set to increase across the, across the whole spectrum, doesn't it? I've seen news stories of, of sort of every aspect of of household bills um, going through the roof, which is is clearly unhelpful um, to everybody, but certainly to 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 you and and your sort of agenda of trying to get people out of a financial situation when bills are just set to to increase and potentially put more people into the situation. Yeah, that's correct. And, uh, you know, we, we're seeing it again, like people coming to us um, when you're having conversations with them. There seems to be a, a theme that runs through those conversations of um, I need I need access to put, you know, heat, you know, money to, so I can kind of heat my home. Uh, I, I have to make a choice between, uh, you know, putting money in, in the gas meter or, 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 or leaving food off the table. Uh, and, and that's the, the, the consequences that we're, we're seeing more and more of. Um, particularly at this time and, and in winter time, you know, when, when it is cold and we've been very blessed at the moment that we've had such mild weather. But when there's a cold snap, people really, really have to make a really critical decision about what am I going to do with my money? Am I going to put some money on the meter and heat the home or are we going to go without food? And and I think that's appalling. And that's not a, a that's not a decision that people should be having to make in in the year twenty twenty two in one of the I think the six largest um, richest economy countries. Um, we know it's not a decision that people should be having to make. And in terms of sort of the big picture, and this is this is a big question, but what would you really like to see change on a, on a big level? Because everything that you're doing is amazing, and food banks around the world and net around the world around the country are doing amazing things very sort of reactive and proactive as much as you can be um, planning in advance of, of support. But what really needs to change? What would you really ideally like to see change? What I would like to see change is that we have a, a basic minimum income for everyone. That's the, the bottom line to it, um, that everybody, regardless of who they are, their, um, what, what they do, whether they work, or whether they don't, but everybody has an access to a basic minimum income that that pays their housing costs, their heating costs, and leaves them with enough money to put food on the table. That's what I would personally love to see. It, it costs us as a country about £90 billion a year to keep people in poverty. 
It's a ridiculous situation. You know. Does the added cost that comes with that of the, the short term nature of sort of this this sort of look at poverty, because actually what poverty brings is is more expense in the future because of health outcomes. And and I, as I said earlier, we know that people who live in poverty, particularly the lowest 20 percent of poverty, are going to have more adverse health outcomes. And of course, we have an NHS. So who picks up the bill for those health outcomes? And uh, rightly so, it's not the individual, but the the country does, and and it's a very short sighted approach when we when we have such a. I always think it's a dim view of nutrition. It's never given as much credence as it should be. It's never put up there as with as much importance as it should be because it really does impact on every aspect of our immediate life, but our future life as well. And so, all those people and all those costs associated with keeping people in poverty. Uh, the here and now costs, but the future costs of those are, you know, we, we know the NHS has pushed, it was it was stretched pre-pandemic, it's certainly stretched now, um, but the future of, of individuals and children growing up in poverty, we know, unfortunately, there are even associations with their future performance outcomes, you know, their academic achievements and their, their workplace potential. Unfortunately, there are adverse you know outcomes linked with food poverty and future success so it it, not for your perspective at all but it is a short-sighted view of things when we have people in poverty and we're not looking at the bigger picture to to actually people would not have adverse future outcomes if they weren't living in poverty now they would they would earn more they would you know they would be happier and healthier um and i know that sounds idealistic but it's true (laughs) Yeah, absolutely, and and I just want to come in here with with another point about the link between obesity and hunger, and it, it seems to be a contradiction in terms where we have an obesity crisis on one hand um, in the country, but we also have a hunger crisis on the other hand, and yet the two are directly linked by poverty. If we draw a line between the two, why are people um, becoming obese? Now, we, there are a number of reasons for that within the country. You know, people there's sometimes it's that there's too much stuff and people have you know different types of lifestyle and all those types of stuff but there is a huge percentage of the people who come to food bank who live in poverty who have such a restricted budget that the only food that they can buy is food that is full of fat full of sugar full of salt full of hydro high in hydrocar um uh, Hydrogenated fats. <laughs> yeah, all, all those all those things. So um, you know, people are are having to choose between buying six apples for two pounds or ten chocolate bars for a pound. What are they going to pick? These this is the question. These are the issues that we're facing. Um, you know, diabetes, um, type two diabetes in this country is rife, and we're seeing more and more people uh, affected by it. It's costing the NHS somewhere in the, the region of two to three billion pounds a year to maintain people with medication where this is a, a lifestyle choice. Rather than giving somebody, you know, my personal thing is rather than giving somebody um, a, a tablet, why don't we give them access to really good quality food? Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. In fact, my big thing in terms of what I would like to see change, um, we had yours with the, the base leveling. And mine would be the food industry. Um, I I have such a, 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 I don't have time to go into my feelings on the food industry. But as you said, we have this rise in the last 20 years, particularly of ultra processed foods and 
the convenience of them and the cheapness of them is the only choice available for so many people. And as you rightly say, obesity and malnutrition are rife within the same populations, certainly within food poverty, because that decision is is the only decision. It's not even a decision. And, And when people say, oh, type 2 diabetes is a lifestyle choice, it's not a choice. It's yes, it's lifestyle led, um, but nobody chooses, um, you know, to have to make those food decisions. Um, as you say, that sometimes there are streets where there is no fresh food available on the streets, but there are takeout after takeout after convenience shop, all of which are really cheap um, and available. So if you if you can't put your oven on for whatever reason, you can go and get something hot, but it's cheap, but it's not very nutritious, but at least you're eating and you're feeding your family. That's not a choice. That's a necessity. Um, but whilst the, you know, the food industry is, is playing to this convenience and hyper palatability of food, which means actually we never feel full naturally. We never feel satisfied from food. So we can overeat on these foods, even if food is scarce. And, you know, if it's cheap enough, we can eat more of it than we need. But we're not getting what we need because these foods are completely nutritionally devoid. And so, of course, yes, obesity, food poverty, malnutrition, all within the same populations. My one of my big concerns at the moment is type 2 diabetes in children, because 20 years ago we had one case in the UK. We now have got over 3,400 children living with type 2 diabetes in the UK. No child should live with type 2 diabetes. It it used to be called adult onset for a reason. You know, it took time for that metabolic decline to take place in the body. Um, So, yeah, huge, huge concerns with with everything you said there. I completely echo and have no solutions, unfortunately, because the food industry is is much bigger than I am and, and is not likely to change because those foods are profitable and that's the whole key um, issue that we face in this country is that there are really powerful lobby groups powerful organizations that control the decisions that are being made around food and the production of food and how food is distributed and put up on the shelves in supermarkets etc 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 it's a real real concern um you know obviously we we love to see people getting back to to growing their own food and making efforts to have a little allotment we've got one at the back of our warehouse it's a small piece of ground that we decided that we would grow our own food and and we it's obviously in not in any volume but at least we're making an effort to do something and and it shows that with even the smallest bit of space you can grow your own food which is another thing that uh, you know we really try and encourage people to to actually get involved in as the healthy out uh, being outdoors you know doing a bit of physical ex- work and exercise but also at the end of it getting your own food which is really satisfying absolutely i think we could certainly carry on for some time about what we think should happen but in terms of trying to get some practical advice and practical steps um you'd mentioned um a donation link that you have or if you could um if you could tell us about that and how people can do that in terms of the financial donations um so if anybody can do that because sometimes it's easier to i'll just i'll just do that rather than go to the shops and try to pick things out so could you tell us how people can can donate to that yeah um we, we've um we've just actually done uh the 12 days of christmas which uh, food bank version of it which is on our, our website which uh, we had lots of fun with where we got all our volunteers to have a, a little go uh, at a different day 
Um, what it did, it was it generated a lot of interest for us uh, on social media and actually led to us having quite a number of uh, financial donations given to us. But if anybody would like to donate to Coventry Food Bank or to any food bank, um, just visit their website. Uh, ours is Coventry, uh, coventryfoodbank.org.uk. Uh, you know, you can donate to us on, on our homepage. Um, you know, we, we, we accept checks. We accept any donations that you would like to give to us. Um, it's really important, obviously, you know, for, for us to receive that financial support as well, because we too have to hit our overhead costs as well, which are, you know, associated with running one of the largest food banks in the country. But, um, you know, we're constantly uh, amazed and, and, you know, supr- not surprised because you should be surprised now, but at the generosity of people, um, people really do support and do understand that uh, there is a crisis out there and want to do their little bit. Mm, absolutely. Are supermarkets getting any better at donating um, food when it's near end dates or is that not quite where it should be? Um, it's still a complex issue with supermarkets because obviously they are um, a business and they want to make as, as much money uh, as, as possible. But we have seen uh, over the last co- couple of years, um, particularly with, with major supermarkets, um, there's uh, two supermarkets in particular, that um, if you make a donation in Tesco's or Asda, they will give us, um, they, we, we value that food at the end of the year, how much has been given to us, and they will give us a 20% top up. So any profit that they would have made on that food, they then give to us, which is really, you know, which is great. It's fantastic. Um, but in, in the, the terms of dealing with, um, you know, the day-to-day um, short lifespan food, um, we, we are picking, we pick up quite a lot of that ourselves on, on a daily basis. So we have a, a regular run to all our supermarkets in the mornings picking up anything that's you know suitable that we can then take directly to the food bank that's on that day um, and that has been that has improved uh, you know with all the the major supermarkets over the last number of years and uh, you know it, it does help us uh, significantly with the quality but also with the, the variety of food that's available and in terms of um, people helping and supporting are you do you always need volunteers you've mentioned running to the supermarket etc I guess you need people to to volunteer to help with certain jobs yeah um, we we engage on average around 200 volunteers a week um, so it, that gives you an idea of the size and the scale of what we're doing um, we are as I said, one of the largest food banks in the UK. So uh, other food banks um, would would maybe not need as many people as that. But um, we have a constant throughput of of regular volunteers. So we have people who come and will will give us two hours or will give us a day. Um, We have a number of guys who who work with us here in in the warehouse who who are with us uh, five days a week. Um, And that's more for the social side the fact that they're coming together as as a group of men and and they they you know um, many of them have been isolated and on their own and had family breakdowns and so on and so on, but when they come to the food bank, they find a, that they're actually part of like a a larger family and which is great and we're really encouraging uh, older men, particularly say from forty five upwards, who are isolated and are on their own, to come along and give us a few hours at the warehouse and be part of the team. So, um, again, we, this is how we see things. We, we, we see the social aspect of what we do 
at food bank is as, as, as is important as the food that we give out as well. Hugh, I have to say, it sounds like you're doing absolutely amazing work um, and thank you for all that you do. And I will certainly be putting up the links um, of how to donate, how to find out food bank information in your area, how to find out about volunteering. And across my social media for the month of January, there are lots of information on sort of shopping lists to um, ideal foods to donate and how to make meal with my meal maths, um, breaking down um, portion sizes into making family meals for all of them under £4.50, which has taken some calculating on my part, but <laughs> we've got that. Um, so how to provide nutritionally balanced meals and how to provide foods that will really support people like you who are then able to proportion that food out to the families and individuals who need it the most so thank you very much for joining me today Hugh um, and carry on with all the amazing work that you are doing yeah thank you Louise and thank you for the time this morning I really appreciate it and uh, it's just great to, to have a chat with you bless you you've been listening to Louise's Health Kick podcast with Louise Messier discussing all things health and nutrition to show you that food and health are intrinsically linked and teaching you how amazing you can feel. Find out more at www.thehealthkick.co.uk or read her book, How Food Shapes Your Child, or get in touch on social media. This is a 1386 audio production. 